I'm not going to even go too deep into the intro here because my guest, Jason Gaddis, I've had on the show before. I've known Jason for many, many years. This guy, uh, he, he founded the Relationship School and is such a successful relationship coach relationship. Uh, it's beyond counseling what he does, the workshops he do he does with couples, the way he helps men and women uh, get to know themselves, what they're going through to communicate better in their relationships. I'm bringing him on Beyond Risk and Back because A, his book's out and you gotta read his book. Uh, B, because he's good. And he really does help the families here on Beyond Risk and Back do part two of those thing I tell you to do every time. Take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, your children third. Jason is our go-to experts for tending to your adult relationships with exes, with support groups, with coaches and counselors, but mainly with your parenting partners, be them current or former. So let's get right in with Jason Gaddis from the Relation School relationship school and the author of getting to zero jason welcome back yet again to beyond risk and back i'm glad you're here man thank you thanks brother great to be back Aaron. i want to jump right in because when people have listened to you on my show in the past we get such great feedback um and my my first question is why the book you you have a very successful coaching uh you have very successful seminars and workshops with couples why why did you add the book i think the words are, the, the 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 response is obvious but i want to know your version of why the book why did you put this in a book yeah well i i it was in me and i needed to come out you know um it, so that's number 1 is it's like it was for me like i i have to just take all of my the stuff i've been teaching for years and put it in book form and also books are anyone can buy a book man uh, you know, it's 25 bucks or whatever. Like, so when people complain like, Hey, I can't afford your program. It's like, read the book then and apply yourself and you will change your life. Books are an amazing way to change our life. How did you get into all of, all of this relationship work? You, you got your degree in counseling, right? At Naropa. Yep. Yep, Yeah. So, so how did you move from counseling and therapy to coaching and why did you make the change and why relationships particularly? I kept seeing like you, Aaron, just trying to help people. Right. And with drug and alcohol problems or whatever the problems were early in my therapy days, relationship was the most common issue that kept coming up over and over again. Uh, So people had trauma, they had mental health problems, they had addictions it all came back to relationships, at least according to my experience um, in the saddle, seeing people every day. And so I started developing curriculum and classes and experimenting on groups and men's groups, women's groups, mixed gender groups, longer trainings uh, to see, okay, we got we to gotta deal with relationships and therapy is not enough where you just go and you vent for an hour. Um, people need to actually apply themselves and create new habits around listening and speaking and um, to me, that was training. You need to train just like you do in, uh, with weights or fitness. It's like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta create a school here that will help people train in the art and science of relationships. And, you know, the people that do, it's like their lives change forever. You and I connected pretty heavily in the past around men's work. I've been to your men's work workshops. Yeah. I've been fortunate enough to be a, you know, a, a assistant trainer on breakout sessions at some of your workshops. Um, what's the, knowing that the majority of my audience is 
moms and that some of my audience is dads, what is the thing that we can tell moms about dads that would help them understand why the relationship in the family is falling apart? What's, what is the primary dysfunction men bring to their relationships? Well, I'm curious what you would say also. There's, I think it's a little multifaceted there, but the primary one I always point to that I think we've talked about before is just conditioning. You know, As little boys, they were conditioned out of their feelings uh, to prioritize themselves over relationships. And whereas girls were taught to prioritize relationships over self and that has a lifelong cost to it. Um, that's I think kind of brutal on men because they they're so inside their conditioning. They don't even see that that, that it's going on. Uh, so I think that's fundamental number one. And they often go pro self when there's relationship stress, they think about themselves and what they need to do to figure themselves out instead of what can I do to help my wife or my partner or my kid? Um, they're, they're sort of self-centric. Um, yeah. Do you notice a difference with millennial dads? I think millennial dads are getting a little more hip. I, I really think the, the Tim Ferriss type people are making that are business entrepreneur, entrepreneurial podcasts are helping young men get into personal growth and development, which and self-reflection, which I think is extraordinary. People love Gary V. People love Tim Ferriss. You know, right. it's it really yeah, is. Joe Rogan. Yeah. You know, it's like these guys are guys that are actually talking about self-awareness and um, therapy and psychedelics and working on yourself and personal growth. And yeah, that's that's great. I think that's positive. What's the number one thing you think moms bring to the dysfunction of the parenting or the the just the whole family dynamic? Uh, moms go lazy and they go, I'll just do it myself. You call that lazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. It's lazy because they're not including, or they've tried to include their partner, but they've tried in their way without learning a new way and it doesn't work. So they just go, fuck it. I'll just do it by myself. Explain that. What do you mean? Try it their way instead of a new way. Uh, their way is I'll try to get my husband on board or to change or engage here, but I'll do it through my habitual um, ways of communicating without learning a new way of communicating. That's incredible. I I have a feeling, and it's like I can I can sense it in my belly that moms listening are going. I don't know if I like this guy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, you asked me what what are they where are they falling down? I'm saying you know a lot of yeah. these moms that are your listeners are not falling down. They're probably kicking ass because they're li listening to you. But of the moms falling down, there's there can be a a real enabling. I think we talked about this once before on your podcast. I can't remember, but a real enabling to keep the dad uh, kind of stuck in Homer Simpson role or dopey dad role or whatever that, you know, and, and dads get, um, once they start to feel like they're not uh, the go-to person for their kids, they start to check out, right? And then mom's like, I'm your best friend. I'll be, I'm your ally. And then the kids and the mom have this great or semi-great relationship and dad's kind of the third wheel over here, you know? And I, I'm like, I, the mom, everybody participates in that. It's not just the dad's fault, right? Are, are relationships more, uh, or family relationships, are they more centered around the mother or are they centered around the father or are they centered around the child when they're in dysfunction? What do you see? In dysfunction, I think they go to whoever the primary parent is that's been the go-to person. And that's often the mom because the mom's, you know, busting her ass to raise a good family, sometimes by herself. And so naturally, 
the kids are going to lean on her when times get tough. You know, I think what this, what this also speaks to, and I've said this a lot because I I've seen this in the last 20 years of working with families when mom's done, it's over. Like, like, like things come to a halt problems in the relationship or the relationship itself. You know, a a woman can break up a year and a half before she actually breaks up with you. But when that moment, when she's like, that's it, I'm done. And I, I had a woman I was coaching this morning who she knows it's over. The guy doesn't, he has no clue. She, she's done. Yeah. Very common in my work as well, where these women are coming to see me because they want to improve their marriage, right? They want to improve their family and they're motivated. They're like, this is awesome. But they keep hitting their head against the brick wall dad. And then at a certain point, you can only do that for so long, right? And then you're, you're out. On one of your podcasts, you actually coached a couple that, uh, to the decision of commit or quit. Like we're doing it right now. This session right now is we're going to make this work or we're going to end it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that couple (laughs) didn't want to make the decision because it's so hard. Right. Um, but I tried and I, I'm like, yeah, let's just get it done guys. Like, cause you're, you're just belaguring this process and you're creating more, even more pain, which you're getting something out of clearly to continue what you're doing. Uh, but it's hard, you know, when there's a lot at stake, um, especially if you're financially dependent, that's a hard marriage to break up. Talk about that a little bit more. When you talk about getting something from your pain, what, what, what are we getting from our pain when we're stuck in this banging the head against the wall of the, the husband or the wife or the child for that matter? I get attention. I get people to, um, I get support. I get connection. I get, um, people to pay attention to me. I get, um, it confirms the story that I'm a piece of shit or there's something wrong with me or I can't do this or it's everybody else's fault. Um, and if I'm blaming other people, I definitely get let off the hook to take any kind of responsibility. And I'll look for people who enable me to stay stuck right where I am instead of people who challenge me, um, like you might to get off my ass and start doing the work. Let's jump to your book now, getting to zero, because it it came out a little while ago from the time of this recording about um, two months ago, early October, early October. So, so the beginning of this month. That's when it ended up on Amazon. Yep. Okay. Getting to zero. Uh, and this is a book about relationships. So what do you mean by getting to zero? Zero is where we want to operate our relational life from. It's the good place. Let's get back to a good place. So let's get back to zero. If zero's the good place, when we get triggered and activated by our kids, our spouse, whatever, we go out of zero, up one, two, three, all the way to 10. That's like when we're sympathetically really aroused. 10 is like enraged. Uh, almost associated, gone mad um, type of thing. We we want to, all of us have conflict and we get upset and we get triggered, but not all of us know how to get back to a good place, back to zero. And that's what the book's about. I'm teaching you how to get back to that good place. You see, you talk about in the book, uh, the scared animal. And because you mention it a lot, especially after chapter six, you talk about the scared animal, referencing it a lot. Um, Talk about that. What is this scared animal? Have you, have you figured out four primary animal archetypes to, (laughs) to quantify and qualify? So I have a unique community of goldfish husbands now, or. (laughs) So look, we're social mammals and we, our greatest need is to belong and to, to be part of the herd. Yeah. or part of the dyad. And so anything that threatens that, like conflict or you know stress with another person, threatens that connection and that belonging, 
and we are, we're afraid that we're going to get left, left alone, left out, cast out, judged, just rejected, humiliated, abandoned. That's one of our worst fears. So we'll do anything to be a part of the herd. And when you and I trigger, when we're in a relationship, uh, the two primary things we get triggered by are too much space, like you're, you go far, too far away from me, or too, you're too in my space, too close to me. And when that happens with us social mammals, we react and we get activated. And I call it, we, um, we get triggered and we move into what I call these four disconnectors that you're talking about, where we posture like a um, porcupine, we collapse like a hermit crab, we get uh, anxious like a golden retriever. Are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay? Or we get uh, avoidant like a feral cat. And usually we gravitate towards one or two of those and under stress. And then the work is how do we get back and reconnect? The, you would, would, as you're going through this, I was trying to remember what mine was. And this, this retriever, this, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Being someone with adult ADHD to the level to which I have it, one of the hidden side effects of adult ADHD is criticism, sensitivity, dysphoria. And it's brutal. Uh -huh. It's the mm -hmm. worst part. I can right. handle we, every... We talked about this once, yeah. Yeah, I can handle every aspect of ADHD, except when my wife, like the hypervigilance I have around how she's feeling and being and the look on her face and the energy of her body language yeah, and everything. It's exhausting. Right. And then I'll lose sleep because we're just not, we're just not connecting. We're just not yeah. there. And I'm You're like, not in a good place. Right? And what am I doing wrong? And what, what is, what happened with right. her? And it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you. And what's cool about your type though, if this is you or you gravitate towards this one most is you're a tremendous asset for the relationship because you're looking out for the relationship. Now, it's sometimes coming from an anxious, scared place, but whatever, you're looking out for the relationship, you're advocating for let's get back to zero, let's get back to a good place. Whereas the feral cat's like, whatever, I, I wanna just, I'm on my fence, I don't even notice you, like I forgot about you. Uh, I kinda like this being alone out here uh, where no one's touching me or attending to me or, you know, cause that's the home I grew up in is leave me alone. I'll just go to my room or go outside and be by myself. <sighs> it's it's like the love languages it's it's a, so so now talk about the 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 posture talk about the the porcupine what is how does this person react when now things get edgy things get crunchy yeah. and the porcupine does what well the golden retriever often turns into the porcupine when things don't go on too long with being disconnected you get angry and you you start you know getting pissed off that your partner's um distant disappearing or whatever you want the connection back, but you're often approaching it from a verbally intense way or a uh, intense way in your body language. You look aggressive. Uh, you look like you're angry, even though you might not be. Um, you want to kind of fight it out. No, let's talk about it. That's more of the porcupine energy. And that drives people backwards. That drives people away. That put they put yeah, up a fight. Unless you're with another porcupine, then you're two are duking it out. And then the hermit crab, they just go into the shell. Yeah, shame, shutdown, collapse is I'm going to go in my shell and just, I, I'm just going to go silent and whatever. I can't, I can't even deal with this. And that's different. I'll be in the room, but I'm just going to like completely collapse. And that's different from the feral cat because the feral cat will lash out? And the feral cat will leave the room. The hermit oh. crab stays in the room. They're both avoiding, right? 
but the feral cat is like, I'm out, like, let me out the door. I want to go out the little cat door and I'm, I'm gone. And I might slam the door. I might just be quietly leave and I might not be able to talk and I don't, might not want to talk. I put no return time on it. I don't say I'm going to be back in 30 minutes. I just kind of go quiet and I disappear. Or I'm like out in the other room, like getting on the TV, just changing the channel, dissociating, checking out. What does the feral cat bring to the relationship in the, on the positive side? Like, like I, you said, the, the golden retriever is trying to attend to the relationship and wants it at zero because then, my God, you can sleep. You can, you know, you, right. you wag the tail, right? What's the yeah. feral cat's benefit to the relationship? <laughs> or they have none? <laughs> no, they have a lot. Remember, if we take the view that intimacy is a dance or a balance between closeness and separateness, you need both in a relationship. You need space and you need connection and closeness, right? So um, sometimes the person who's advocating for closeness forgets that space is actually an oxygen and breathing room is really good for the relationship. And the feral cat brings that to the relationship. They're kind of holding that pole, right? Now, sometimes they're doing it very unconsciously and neurotically, but the gift of that they're bringing is, no, we, we need space. I'm teaching you, uh, Golden Retriever, how to advocate for space more because it's good for us. It's good for me. And you're teaching me, Golden Retriever, that connection is good for me. Because I grew up in a family where connection wasn't that good for me. It was fend for yourself, everybody. So I don't see yet how relationship is actually super beneficial and, and excellent for my development. I don't see that. And you're helping me see that. So both are helping each other. You talk about EDT, the emotional discomfort threshold. The, yeah. This idea, explain that. Okay, you get triggered by your wife or a coworker, and if you can't, if you don't have the capacity to be with your upset, you're gonna act what I call act out. You're just gonna blame. You're gonna lash out. You're gonna do one of these four disconnectors. You're gonna shut down. And so, being with our discomfort, I think, is a tremendous life skill. And I know you teach your people this: is can I be with my pain? Can I be with my fear? Can I be with my anger? Can I be with my sadness? Of what's going on in this relationship? And can I be with a sensory experience of major discomfort when my partner or someone triggers me and I'm, I'm just feeling so awful before I do or say anything, can I just be with it? And uh, I think that's a very valuable life skill we all need to learn. Now, when I hit this, this threshold, yep. I, I, Everybody's got one. I, I would assume that you, you and your marriage have a have a much larger threshold than I may have in mind than than our listeners may have for us. I don't know about that. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know what? This is this is what I love about you, Jason. Is is the willingness to be brutally honest about your own process, and that yeah. and that is something that I learned from you way back in the days of the men's work, where mm -hmm. you just we cannot be this coach the supporter of personal growth and human development if we're not really authentic and transparent with our own and i i've taken that this lesson to heart that i learned from you at such a level that i now believe transparency is the new tough love like the, yeah, this is nice. being transparent with our kids being transparent with my wife being transparent with myself with my employees it's not that you need to do this and you need to understand and you need to get through your thick head. That's, that's yeah. tough love. And I'm out if you don't so decide, choose right. versus I'm going through this to such a point that I'm done. And I don't know how to do whatever's next on either side. I'm addicted to the struggle and right. I don't know how to get out of the struggle myself. So 
Yep. You got to do your part. I got to do mine. I'm blowing it. Nice. Yeah. I love that. I mean, yeah, I said to my team the other day, like fuck a month ago, I said, guys, I just want to be really honest here. I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. <laughs> I was like, look, I'm a relationship guy. I'm not a business guy. Like I need your help. And, um, it was cool. It was a real call to arms of like me just cause I want to posture over my team. Right. I, I want to make it look like I've got my shit together. I'm this business savvy guy. I'm look at Jason. He's so smart. That's what I want you to see. But what's real is, man, this is, this is a workshop for me every week, every month, every year. It's hard. It's vulnerable. I'm not great at it. I'm not a black belt. I'm learning. And what I want us all to do is commit to learning. So that's the commitment we made. It was about six years into running our business that I said, wow, motivation is shitty management. Like, like mm -hmm. motivation is so temporary, you know, inspiration is so fluid. What is yeah. static is good management. What is static is discipline. And I am, I struggle with my own discipline. I'm great at motivation. Right. Guys, we're going this way. We're doing right. this work. And everybody's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, how do we do it? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. We, I don't know. I'm just motivating you. Come I'm on. just, I'm just saying, I, I, yeah, you go, I'll, I'll follow you. <laughs> And that, that was hard on my employees. That's hard on my kids. Uh -huh. You know, that's hard on my wife because it's a, it's a strong start and just to finish, you know? <laughs> so, I can relate. Yes. Okay. So you, you talked about, I want to come back to the being with your triggers in a minute, but you used a phrase about posture over shame. And when I heard you use the phrase and when, when I, I'm listening, I'm, I'm, I've got your audio book just cause I like your yeah. voice. I'm used to listening to you talk. We talk. Yeah. And, yeah. and so as I'm listening to your audio book, when you're saying the posture over shame, that one hit me that, that this, this, that shame is that big in relationships. How, oh, yeah. how frequent, how prevalent is the concept of shame in our parenting in our relationships with our currents and our exes? Dude, it's so prevalent. Um, and I think social media has exacerbated the shame most of us feel because I see shame as a um, subordination or a comparison to a fantasy that I should be living up to. So parents classically see other parents and their happy pictures on Facebook and they've got their drug addicted kid and they're fucking in it. They're feeling shame that they're not the happy family that they wanted because that, that's the fantasy is we should be in a different place and we're not. And I don't want anyone to know how much we're in it over here. So I, I'm just going to hide or I'm going to posture over that and put the smile on and say, we're fine. Everything's great here. And it's understandable why we do this because very few of us want to be seen in shame, right? Um, and it's, as you know, in, in the work you do, it's, it's like such a healing step to be able to say, raise your hand and say, I'm struggling. I'm in it. It's a mess over here. And just to be honest, because uh, that's the first step out of shame. But yeah, I think, I think posturing over shame is, um, is really common because we, we just don't want to be struggling. We, we think we should know better. And I'm, I'm over here saying, guys, conflict's normal. That's the first thing you got wrong. You think that a good relationship has no conflict. And then second, you're, you think that you should know how to like work through it effectively. Well, where'd you learn? You learned from the big people who didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> so that's why we need books. That's why we need classes. We need teachers and mentors like you to help us learn how to do it differently. And then we can earn like security. We can earn awesome relationships because we're learning, we're learning how.
when Jason is talking about this posture over shame, this understanding that what we're ashamed of when our children are struggling, when our marriage is struggling, relationships are struggling, we're not doing well at work, we haven't slept well. You know, the, the, the five basics, I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating, I'm not drinking enough water, I'm not moving my body and I'm not breathing on purpose. Any one of those, doing any one of those five things wrong or accidentally, not on purpose, missing any one of those five things will cause a domino effect in the other five. And like Jason said, that's why we learn. And then obviously you're a parent who's learning because that's why you're here on Beyond Risk and Back, listening to Jason. I've taken 20 years of everything I've ever taught parents and I put it into an app. It's at brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. It's 56 parenting sessions. It's a parenting masterclass. And it goes all the way from the red beyond risk. My kid's suicidal. They're addicted to drugs or video games. Uh, they, they're cutting all the way to that yellow, that at risk, you know, grades are C's and D's. I can feel things slipping, but they're still communicating with me all the way into the green, which is things are good. Like this is, this is going fine, but it could be great. This is, this kid's a world changer. How, how do I change so that my child changes? And I want you to understand that, that in all 56 sessions, this is not about what your kids should do differently. This is about what you're going to do differently as a parent. And here's the thing. I priced this at a week's worth of coffee. If you go out every day for a cup of coffee, this app is less than that. So I want you to go to brabapp.com, take the little 10 question quiz, see if you need to start in the red, the yellow, or green. Regardless, you get all three for that low cost. Because I want every parent to have access to the support. That's why I do the podcast, is because I get to bring people like Jason on to support you and your relationship. We bring the experts. So bring me into your home at your speed. This is a self-paced masterclass of parenting. Go to brabapp.com. I'll see you there. Jason, this this thing that you're talking about when we're when we're coming to shame and learning and the fact that our only teachers that we have had have been what our parents did or didn't do. And we always think as kids, we, we get around 16 years old. Remember, Robert Bly talked about it as the vow. We hit about 16 years old and the boy says, I will always or I will never. And so yeah. many of our scars and our wounds come from breaking our own vows, falling apart. How, how common is this letting go of our own values when our kids and our marriage is on the line? Like why do, not, not how, how common, why do we sacrifice our values with, for our marriage or for our kids? I thought that values were our identity. Yeah, uh, it's such an important question, Aaron, because we value connection over being true to ourselves and self-expression. Wow. It's that simple. And and I talk about it in the book, right? When I was a kid, I wanted to be accepted by my parents and the big people and my peers. And I was a sensitive, emotional boy. So I valued connection over being true to myself because being true to myself got me pain 
and rejection and hurt and being made fun of. So that's not going to go well. So I will develop strategies to be in relationship with you because at least I get a relationship, even though I'm, I'm leaving myself and my integrity behind. And people just keep repeating this in their adult relationships. It's very common. Do you think being sensitive, empathic, this is a question completely out of left field, but because you are one of the men who taught me and my men's work about being sensitive and being empathic and embracing the authenticity, is it, what do you think the trickle down of this is going to be on our kids? Do you think the youth of today is less resilient than you and I had to be? You and I, you and I are the same age. Are our kids less resilient than we are because they're more sensitive, because they're more emotionally intelligent? Ooh, dude, that's a really good question. Um, I want to say yes and no. Um, I'm looking at my own kids, right? They're, we're sort of protecting their sensitivity so it can shine and flourish. Sure. But when they go out into the, the quote, real world, right, life, um, it's not a welcoming party out there to their, right. how sensitive they are, right? There's a lot of rejection and a lot of making fun and a lot of whatever that doesn't feel so good. So... I think the what we're trying to implore to our kids is like hanging on to who you actually are as you go out into the world and what what kind of life do you need to set up so that you can be you and you don't need to and then yeah there's a time and a place to stuff your feelings and act tough and not you know cry about it or whatever of course there's always context where that's a good move um, so I, I think it's a both and thing we want to teach our kids how to kids how to share transparently and vulnerably about what's true. And because I think those kind of relationships and friendships are going to last longer, be deeper, more fulfilling relationships with kids who are, you know, other kids in other working situations where there's a lot of authenticity going on about what's actually occurring inside. You talk a lot about the the struggles you had as a child and through your process of being authentic and, and giving yourself permission to, to be Jason fully. Has that improved your relationship with your parents? Have you, do you guys still work at it? How, what's that like? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. My parents and I have a great relationship now because I stopped pointing the finger at them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, had my, my parents, look, my parents did the best they could. And I, I really truly believe that because they didn't have the internet and they didn't have counseling and coaching and they didn't have Aaron Hueys in their life and they didn't know. Right. Um, so they rocked it out and there was a cost. There was, I got hurt. There were some things that went down. One of them was um, not, I don't have one memory of my parents learning like how to repair, like just saying, Hey dude, sorry that I raised my voice there. That wasn't cool. Not one memory, zero. But here's the thing. If, I had to work really hard to see the benefit of that is what? Well, I created an entire school and just wrote a fucking book on how to do the very thing that wasn't done for me. So they gave me the gift, right, of hurt so that I would go out in my life and create a mission and a service-based purpose to help a lot of people with the thing I didn't get. That's pretty freaking cool. So I have deep, deep gratitude for my parents' way of doing it. You, you and I talked about on the last time we spoke, we've talked about it privately, um, but then you talk about it in your book in chapter 11, Lufu. And the, 
the the sentence in the book that that when I was listening to it, and I, and I have my notes when I when I listen to audiobooks while I'm working and listening to music and have a rock tumbler going on in the background because I'm really ADHD. <laughs> but when when something pulls me away or when I distract and I tune into something, I tuned into your voice saying the fight to feel understood. Explain what you were saying, because that's the one that as I sit with my marriage, which is, it's going through such a great time right now as we go through our own turmoil and how I, I can rely on her and she can rely on me. And when she gets back tonight, I'll have dinner made and the laundry done and the house clean. And then when, you know, and then she is there for me, like we, like we're, we're yeah. in the zone right now and things are at their most stressful in our business world, in our business life. Right. So I know I have the dependability. And when you said the fight to feel understood, like the overwhelming sensation in my chest was, man, are you really, did, does she still have to fight you to get you to fucking pay attention to what she's actually saying? Right. And I had right. to answer yes. So talk about the fight to feel understood. Yeah, that's powerful, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, we, I mean, one of the primary communication breakdowns when in couples in marriages is um, we just don't feel understood. I don't feel understood. You don't feel understood. And then we go in circles. And then often we keep going in circles because we don't, we won't learn a new way or we don't have this commitment that I, that I talk about with Lufu, which is the commitment is you listen until the other person feels understood, not until you think they're understood, but until they say, I feel understood because people will fight to be understood. And um, that's going to go around in circles until someone submits and says, all right, I'm committed to listening to you until you feel understood. One of the steps, you say you have eight steps and you said one of the steps, and this one stands out to me, is whoever's got the most regulated nervous system has to start this. <laughs> like you don't, you know, yeah. you cannot depend or count on them to start. And I know part of se criticism sensitivity is that if she loved me, she'd start. Uh -huh. She would do the Lufu first. But yeah. if I'm the one thinking about it, it's on me. Right. That, that's and, and often in a partnership, the more relationally sensitive person, sometimes it's the golden retriever types, <laughs> um, are usually the first to notice, hey, something's off here. It doesn't feel good. I want to get back to a good place. I want to get to zero. So, and the other person's not noticing yet because of their nervous system and their history and whatever. So it's like, it might be the exact same person every time for decades. And as long as that's talked about and the couple agrees, this is okay. And I appreciate that you lead Jason all the time. That's really helpful for us. It's you're looking out for us. Thank you. If there's appreciation there, that, that can work. Um, a lot of us get stuck with, I did it last time. I'm waiting for you to start. Yeah. I apologize last time. <laughs> Yeah. What do you do Forgiving. when you don't feel like there's fair value exchange for you? And, and this is what I hear a lot of moms who listen to this show. They say, I just, my husband won't listen. My husband won't go to therapy or, or and I've ever heard men say that too. Yeah. So, sure. and again, like you said earlier, millennial men, millennial dads, dude, they're showing up. I've had more calls nice. and more consultations with millennial dads in this past wow. year than I've had of dads in general over the former 19. I am Dude, noticing a massive trend, especially as millennial, wow. the kids of millennials are starting to hit their tweens. And these yeah. millennial dads are going, my kid's suffering. I, I need help. And I'm like, wow, like way to be. Super uh, cool. Um, 
Can we expect fair value exchange from our spouses when we're doing work or trying to heal a family? And what do we do if the yeah. imbalance hurts? Yeah, man. Um, yes, we can expect that on reasonable things that we both agree upon. So we can't just go, we can't pull the fairness card out all the time about everything, about dishes, about laundry, about yeah. finances, about you name it. It's just like, there's a lot, there's a huge list we can make about and convince the other person's, Hey, it's not quite fair here. Um, I don't think that's a good approach. I think a better approach is what are the key movers in our relationship where we want fairness? And one of them is we're both committed to repairing after there's an upset. We're both committed to getting help when we don't, when we're stuck and we don't know what to do. We're both committed. Um, like if, if I just repair all the time, and I come back, let's say we get in a, a fight and I'm always the one to, to come back and say, let's repair this. I don't like how this feels. And you're like, there's no problem. We're fine. I just kind of went to the basement and I feel better now. Had a drink. I'm good. Uh, that's not fair uh, because the other person's not taking responsibility that they have a part saying, yep, I, my bad. I raised my voice. I was kind of a jerk there. So we like human beings like fairness in that way. Um, I think that's a great kind of fairness to focus on. Yeah, I don't, I don't see fairness around dishes and laundry and stuff like that. I just get to hold that as a badge of honor that, that my wife works her butt off and I work my butt off and I'll make sure that the laundry's done and the dishes done. That's, that's my, those are nice. my bragging rights. That's all I get from that stuff. Right but but yeah. it's my house and my laundry and my wife and it's her laundry and I'm happy to do it. So it's not, it's just yeah. a, but, but I want to, it feels so unfair when your child has completely robbed the family of any other attention and focus. And now you have this child that's blowing sideways and you and your partner are disagreeing and this child is feeling the disconnect and now triangulating it. Yeah. What is the, and this will be my final question. What is your strategy to pull a family out of a triangulating experience? Like a kid a mom and a dad, whether they're married or not, are all here in separate sides of the story. And it's just making everything worse. Yeah, well, the adults have to be the big people here. Um, and I'm with you in the, your order you listed earlier, self, couple, whether you're together or not, and then kid. Those are the priorities. I, I'm 100% aligned with that. So if that's true, then the couple has to be bigger people and go, wow, we have a lot of shit here. And you have shit with the kid. I have shit with the kid. We're, we're all kind of a mess, but it's our responsibility because we're the adults that we need to somehow find alignment on what we're going to do with this situation. And yes, we have a bunch of baggage we haven't dealt with. Huh? Maybe it's time to look at that. We, we haven't dealt with that and that's on us, but we it's, it's go time. It's time to be a team. And so we need to act and behave in a way that is team-like so that we can address this challenge over here. And what are we going to do? as a team. And maybe, maybe we need to like all hands on deck right now and put out the fire as a team. And then we need to go, Hmm, once we have a little breathing room, we need to go, wow, we, we aren't a very good team. Let's put some attention on being a team so that when this happens again, if it does with our other kid or life or whatever, we we're here, we have each other's backs, even though we're not married or even though sometimes we don't like each other. I think that's, that's vital. So I lied. One more question. If one member of the team refuses to participate in the healing of the team and you're, you're left holding the bag, what do you do? Yeah. Well, 
I, in the book, I talk about reasonable requests. You make reasonable requests. If they're still stonewalling, gaslighting, if they're just like, nope, talk to the hand, it's on me. And I have a friend in this exact situation who I think you know, and it's it's on him. It's like, okay, what are you going to do to create lasting change and impact with your child? And what kind of relationship are you going to have with them outside of the other person, knowing that the other person's, you can't control them. They're going to do whatever they do. You know, and, and sometimes that's a custody thing, but more often it's like, how am I going to behave? How am I going to show up? What kind of leader am I going to be in this family of two now, me and son or me and daughter? Um, what kind of leader am I going to be? And who do I want to become here? And I only have four years left, so I'm going to double down on this part of my life and I'm going to show up as strong and hard as I can. Jason, let's make sure everybody has access to you. And you've got, you know, Jason Gaddis coaching, you've got the relationship school, you're, you're yeah. on the social media, the book, where do you want people to go first? How do you want people to connect with you? Yeah, probably two places. Getting to zero book.com is where you can get um, some info on the book and some free downloads and also a conflict quiz that Aaron and I were talking about earlier. You can determine your conflict style. Uh, so that's getting to zero book.com. And then uh, Relationship School podcast on all the podcast channels is great. Aaron's been on there before. That's a great free resource for any parent that wants to come check it out. And that's on all the all the places. And that's relationshipschool.com or just go to your Spotify or your Apple podcasts. And people can find you on social media? Yeah, at Jason Gaddis. Jason with a Y. Jason, as always, man, the, the work you do, I, I continue to admire the, the people I send your way, the, the, the clients we've shared over the years, especially the dads that I work with who've come through you. Um, they're just able to handle the truth better when, when, they, when they say, hey, I need you to call me out and stuff. We're like, well, okay, here we go to yeah. handle it. And I, I credit you for, for getting them to the space to really mirror up on, on who they are and how they're being. And I did working with you all those years ago. And then alongside you, as we satellite each other in this wonderfully progressive Boulder, Colorado, who needs <laughs> more emotional help than most other places. I don't know if that's true, but I just like making fun yeah. of Boulder, but you really do good work, Jason. And I hope everybody is, follows up with uh, getting to zero book.com and uh, going to Amazon. Just get the book. You guys, it's, it's good. Jason's good stuff. So thank you again, Jason. Yeah, brother. Thanks again. Always a pleasure, Aaron, to hang with you and roll with you. And um, thanks again for all the, the help you do for kids and parents. When Jason talks about that fight to feel understood, I, I, I get really emotional. A lot comes up for that because I remember that being such a big part of my childhood and a big part of my recovery. It, I didn't have the words. So how could I expect people to understand that if I got sober, I would kill myself? Like how, and then when, when, when my kid is struggling and they're, they're lashing out and then somebody with a, with all this experience says to you something like, well, your child's behavior is the language of the family. And you see that your child has just been fighting to, to be understood. And then when you try to tell your spouse, your parenting partner, your ex, those same things, they feel not understood and not heard. And this is why the work is because being understood, having a tribe, being part of a community is such a big deal. So go go to relationshipschool.com and become part of Jason's community. 
go go to getting to zero. And, and what he said about getting to zero, getting back to that base point where things are good. That's it. Get there. I want to thank Deepin Productions for the music and producing the podcast. I want to thank Your Cause Consulting for making sure this show gets in front of all the people who actually need to see it. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and share, and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help parents who need help find the help they need. Parents, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third. That's how you're going to do your best work with your kids. Big thanks to Jason Gaddis and his new book, Getting to Zero. I'll see you next week.